0: the show everyone. This is an interview I did with Eric Paulson back in July 2021. He's a very accomplished martial artist, and there's a ton of great stories and training concepts in this interview. He's definitely one of the most interesting people I've ever had the pleasure to talk to. Enjoy the show. You're originally from Minnesota,
1: is that correct? Yeah, Minnesota shovel. And when did you make your way out to California? Uh 1986 after I graduated high school I came here on spring break and It was so great. I went home with a tan during winter, (laughs) spring break, and uh, I said, "You know, everyone goes, man, you look good with a tan." And I was like, "Man, I could get a tan all year round." Yeah, I moved to Palm Desert so I could go back to college. My major was fashion design and fashion merchandising. I don't know. I just, I what happened is I was looking at like all the graduates and their future. And so what I was planning on doing was going to either New York or Los Angeles to the mart to start creating cool clothes. And it was weird because when I was that age, I was uh, 18, 19, and I was doing a lot of um, modeling at the time and getting commercials and things. And uh, I thought, you know what, maybe this will be a future. So I thought I was going to go to New York and model for in New York. I had blonde hair and blue eyes, and they said, you're more like a surfer-looking guy. So I think California would fit. So I came to California, and I wow. hooked up with all these agencies. And that was my primary thing. was I was after the modeling and the commercial-slash-acting career. And uh, I told everybody that I, I got hit on so much by guys, all the guys, <laughs> that I got into stunt work. And the reason I got into stunt work was because uh, I wanted to be in the industry, but I didn't want to be hit on all the time by all the guys. I hear you. Well, you know what? I I don't blame them. You know, their eyes aren't made of wood. Yeah. That's an amazing segue, too, because,
0: you know, obviously I know you more from the martial arts side of things, but you were a stuntman in movies. That's a great segue going into Bloodsport 3 and being in there with legendary actor and stuntman. Daniel Bernhardt, what was it like working with him? And what was it like choreographing the scenes? And how
1: did that all play out in that movie? So Bloodsport 3, I got on with a bunch of friends. So I just got done. I got my seg card off of Baywatch. I did 10 episodes of Baywatch. Greg Barnett hired me on. And uh, Chad and I had a great fight scene. And then I I got to fight David Hasselhoff. And I was a drug smuggler. I had long hair. And I was a preppy drug smuggler. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was, it was funny because uh, well, I got on and I kept reoccurring in different uh, episodes uh, as a bad guy. And hey, sometimes being a bad guy still pays the bills, you know. <laughs> so, but I did that, and then a bunch of our friends were all auditioning for parts and stuff. And I, I had already got done working on American Ninja Five, Yes. complete blockbuster that was like 1989 so i I got bloodsport 3 and let's see chad got on there brad martin got on there a lot of our friends daniel bernhardt got on there yeah i made friends with everybody Jahi, scott McElroy. all these guys were on the movie and these guys all had different characters and it it was just a great time we were actually in sri lanka we were in candy and uh colombo and it was funny because we we're shooting out, out in the jungle and the Tamel Tigers came through and it was like a terrorist group and, and everyone was scared. And I was like, they go here, there's these guys coming through on this bus and they all have machine guns. Yeah. And they said, you know, if you can, you don't show your face in public for a little bit just because they're not quite sure if they're going to try to uh, kidnap you for ransom or what they're going to do. Yeah. So. So anyways, we went out, we went way out in the jungle and we filmed out in the jungle and it was amazing. Like this crew created this entire uh, arena out of plywood and they made it look, they made it look like this big, huge thing. And it was out in the middle of the, seriously, we were out in the middle of the jungle. Wow. That's crazy, man. Each fight scene was anywhere from eight to 10 hours to shoot. So I had two fight scenes in. My first fight scene took six hours to shoot. Wow. I fought uh, Brad Martin and I fought Daniel Bernhardt. And those are, I post little tidbits of those fights up because it's fun to go back and just remember. I remember Ch- Chad's the director of John Wick and Chad and Damon and I grew up under Guru Dan. And Damon and Chad both choreographed the movie 300. And then Dave Leach came out. And started working with Chad full-time and Dave Leach, or Dave Mark Leach, started scoring some really big shows, directing also with with Chad. And also he did uh, Wolverine. It's amazing how,
0: how things kind of grow and develop into that as well. I mean, like you said, you know, that's a great point, bringing up, studying under Dan Isano, another a legend, absolute legend in his own right. Man, what was that like coming up training with
1: him? And what, what even led you to training with him? So I read about Guru when I was a kid. I had all Bruce Lee's uh, books. Yeah. I, I bought uh, Bruce Lee's Fighting Methods, Dao Jikundo, and I, I would read them. But I was I was uh, doing karate and then boxing at the time. And then I started doing Aikido. I really loved Aikido. And I did Judo um, when I was little, mm-hmm. like in 4th. Fourth through sixth grade, I did judo. And then I, I got in a street fight, and it changed my mentality. And I went to my first Bruce Lee movie in the movie theater, Game of Death. And I saw it in the movie theater, and I said, you know what? I need to I need to learn that. I want to learn what he's doing. I mean, his kick, everything. So at that time, all these Chuck Norris movies were coming out. And they're actually really really great. This is before Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, really hit the scene. So it was, you know, I I was very fortunate at that time to be on the chopping blocks with all the different martial art discoveries. And then the Wushu came in, and there was all tricks and flips. And then 300 came in, and, you know, it was a lot of sword play and a lot of stuff like that. And then John Wick is changing the complexion of martial arts back because it's all... Japanese jiu-jitsu with Brazilian jiu-jitsu well it's got the CSW flavor on it because Chad asked me if I could go down and help his guys out with some stuff and then asked me if I had somebody that I could send to him that was similar to what I did or that knew everything that I did and I said yeah I have a good black belt that does tons of experimenting and uh, research and I think he'd be perfect for you and he's very humble and and so I sent Eric Brown down there and he started training them and started working all my helicopter stuff. I have a helicopter series that I kind of fell into. I don't ever say, uh, I guess maybe created a little bit, but yeah, uh, I didn't invent it. Like the helicopter, the Ford helicopter, the screen helicopter from scanning the side to side shock with the spin hook kick and yeah. Uh we put a lot of that stuff because it looks good on film and there's it's big movements on the ground. Like if you were to show jujitsu, yeah. like you know, killing the elbow and then switching your hips and a hip heist, you know. So the bigger movements sell and then we add all the striking, the ground and pound, and then put the gun in the mix. The first time I went down there, they said, Hey, could you show a bunch of takedowns with one hand? And I go, sure. I mean, you I mean yeah, of course. I'm a stunt guy. I could do anything. Yeah. They said, Hey, can you ride a jet ski? And I go, sure, until they brought out the skateboard. Uh, and I jumped on the jet ski at Universal Studios and I've never ridden a jet ski like that in my whole life. I couldn't get up and I drove into the moat. <laughs> and and I was swearing I was under this moat and I I kept the throttle going. The guy said, whatever you do, don't let the throttle go. So I was and you, I was spitting mud out from under the bridge. And I sounded like the guy from Christmas Story, the dad when he was fixing the tire. <laughs> I was swearing every other weird name I could come up with. And I was stuck in the lily pads and the mud and the muck. And <laughs> there's probably snakes in there and maybe alligators. Really well, it's California. So anyways, and then they go can you flip and i go who can't and so i hit the mini tramp and they go okay you can they go hey can you fall and i go yeah of course how high and they go all the way up there and i go uh sure and i i got three quarters of the way up the ladder and then you got to shoot off the tower and then you got to do a high fall and the guy right before me did it and he his uh, leg hit the cement (laughs) he over rotated And his leg went off and hit the crash pad and his, his leg hit the cement and they're like medic. And uh, I got halfway up the ladder and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. And then, then you got this other little guy going, get your ass up there. So I did it. And then they go, all right, can you do flips from like a high dive? I go, sure. I'll just do a double, uh, two and a half into the water. So that's two flips and land in a dive. Right. So I did a one and three quarter from 30 feet. Oh, man. And I landed. I, it sounded like a, someone dropped a, a sheet of metal on top of the water flat. It was like, and everyone was like, oh, I could hear everyone going, oh, they're all yelling. And I, I like came up and I was like, oh, and I think it knocked the wind out of me. Yeah. It was a 30 foot high fall. I did a one and a three quarter flip. That's insane. I landed on my face and my belly. And then uh, I got up and I raised my hand and I I didn't realize like I had a complete opportunity to take advantage of slapstick comedy (laughs) because when I drove that jet ski under the moat, everyone was laughing and they came out and they're clapping (laughs) and they're like, what's he going to do next? and they go i could hear one guy going that guy's really brave (laughs) and this other guys like oh yeah well stunt guys can do everything yeah and even when you can't you say you can so i got up to that 30 foot and i was like this is pretty far ah screw it i just jumped and tucked and i had no idea where i was at and i opened up i thought oh this is gonna be perfect and i opened up too early and i literally landed like a sheet of metal on the water. I came up and everybody was clapping and everyone was <laughs> excited. That's awesome. Yeah, you been doing amazing I... things, man. Like another one I really loved growing
0: up uh, watching was *Fist of the North Star*. Gary Daniels and you were in also another film
1: with him. What was it like filming things with him? I have to tell you. So Gary Daniels, I got killed twice in that fight scene. I got killed once. Chad and I. I think even sioshi we had to change our hairstyle. So I had a long. I had a top knot. And I had a ponytail. And then I got beat. He, I think he kicked me off my feet. And I went flat. No, I did a flat back. Flat back. And they kept going, can you get higher? Because he kicked my legs out. I kicked him in the head and he kicked my legs out. He did an iron broom sweep. Oh. And I went up and they go, can you get higher? And I go, yeah, how high? And they go, as high as you can. So I jumped up and I'm like six and a half feet off the ground. I landed flat back. And then I got up and they go, uh, grab a weapon. What, what weapon? Let me see you do a Carenza with a weapon so i was shadow boxing and then same thing but he had to go through i think 30 fight scenes and he remembered every single they said ready action he was a one take jake i couldn't believe it i i was like what in the world what a memory that guy could kick too boy he was a great
0: kicker another legend in his own right amazing and he worked with some amazing guys Trained with amazing
1: guys, you know, like you said, Chad. Winston Omega, he trained with Winston. Winston Omega was this ex-triad, I don't know if he was a hitman, something like that. When I first met him, he came into my bar and I walked outside of my bar at 2 a.m. and I heard a dinging noise and I looked over and I looked up and this light pole, this night light on the light pole was shaking. And I looked, I go, what the heck is that? Is that an earthquake? And I looked down and it was Winston Omega punching the pole with his right hand. And I was like, is he punching the pole? The thing's made of, it's not made of aluminum, it's made of steel. <laughs> and so he came up and I, and I said, can I see your knuckles? And he had one big knuckle. His, wow. his two knuckles were one big knuckle. And he goes, oh yeah, I'm a bone doctor also. What? Yeah, I think, he, I think he might have lived in New Zealand or Malaysia, and then he ended up getting a ton of movies, and he worked with Gary Daniels on all the fight scene stuff. Oh. He did a system of fighting called some hockey. And it's funny because I said, hey, do you work the ground stuff ever? And he goes, yeah. And I go, what about like, like Tommy Do you know what that is? And he goes, uh, I think so. And he goes, show me. So I, I put him in a head and arm, and he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> and... He reached up, he ripped my mouth, he grabbed my hair, he put his fingers in my eyes, he like bit me and he punched me in the face from the bottom. And I was, I was almost in shock, like, what the heck? And he goes, this is a real fight, you have me in a headlock, who's to say you're not going to do this to me? So he just like ripped my face, my eye, he <laughs> bit me and then he just punched me really hard in the face. And, you know, I thought he was going to show me a cool grappling move, like or right. an escape. <laughs> like a had enormous an escape and he did, but it was for real. And it's funny because he just didn't mess around. He would like, I asked him, I said, Hey, do you ever go to Indonesia? And he goes, Oh yeah, the sea lot guys. And then he did sea lot. He, he like came out and did this whole amazing. demonstration of sea lot. And then I said, so what do you, do you ever fight those guys? And he goes, Oh yeah. And I go, what do you do? He goes, I kick him in the head as soon as they drop down and do all this stuff, he goes, I kick him in the head with my shin. And I was like, oh, okay. And I go, you must have a hard shin. He goes, I do. I kick metal pole all the time. And then I said, okay, well, what about the Muay Thai guys? Uh, you go to Thailand too. Do you ever get in the street? He goes, yeah, I get in a street fight with the gang guys. And they they know Muay Thai. And I said, so what do you do against the Muay Thai guys? And he goes, throw a shin kick at me. And I shin kicked him and he shin kicked my shin kick.
2: Oh, Damn. As
1: hard as he could. And I was like, what the he goes, my he goes, I kick metal poles with chains around them. That's insane. And then I said, Well, what about when they punch you and stuff? And he goes, Oh, you want to see what I do against a punch? And he goes, throw a punch. So I punched him and he punched my punch with his knuckles. My head almost broke. That's crazy. It sounded like a tray of martini glasses dropping from a second floor building. <laughs> that's crazy and he goes all right uh day one of training ready and then all we had to do is hold each other's forearms and we had to shin kick each other in the leg you walk down you go shin kick and then you just switch your leads shin kick so you're kicking their legs and then he goes okay drill two And he goes ready and he goes you're gonna kick the kick so as soon as the guy was shin kick you had to shin kick his shin And I remember going, uh, yeah, I think our legs are made out of balsa wood. Uh, You're all bruised up, but he goes, don't worry. I'm a bone doctor. I'll fix you. And he had a, he had a jug of this, did that job. So he made it and he had this kind that you could drink for your internal organs. And then he had one that he made for all your bones and he soaks his hands in them and he punches like he punches this. Wing Chun dummy that has a chain around it. And then he's got these bags that have steel shot in them. And this little bag was hanging. And he goes, hit my bag. And he goes, don't hit it hard. And I, like, barely, like, knocked down it a couple times. It was, like, punching a rock. (laughs) And I go, what's in that? And he goes, a very fine steel shot. And the little bag weighed 300 pounds. That's absolutely insane. And it was the size of my head. And then he had a heavy bag. He had two heavy bags. One heavy bag was full of shredded tires. So it it had a little give, but it still hurt really bad. And then another one he had was full of steel shot. And that bag was like three bags in one. And he had three different bags in one bag. So when they can break and rip yeah. and that was like a four or five or 600 pound bag. And he had to lift it up with like five guys and a winch. That's insane. He hung that thing up and you'd hit that thing and it was so hard. You could, you could only hit it from an inch away. Otherwise you break your hand or your foot or your shin. Now you have some amazing training yourself
0: on that. I'm not sure. I think you developed this yourself. You know, I'm a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy. I have my own
1: school here in Illinois. Uh, yeah. We do sambo, judo, jiu-jitsu, catch wrestling. I, I saw that. I saw. I saw a lot of pictures of you with wrestling shoes in your gi.
0: I know. I'm good friends with Vlad Yeah, I was wearing. A, I forget what reason I had, like a toe injury or whatever. He goes, "Hey, nice shoes."
1: <laughs> yeah, he's great. Love it. You, you're under some really good guys.
0: But you had this one video. I remember you did. You just took like a broomstick, and you were simulating like footlocks and getting the the yeah, yes yes i I love training like that like how important is that the conditioning specifically that type of conditioning for guys instead of just obviously rounds and stuff
1: well look like this when you do that type of conditioning regularly when you grab someone's foot they tap as soon as you grab it because they know when you start to put it on you're going to break their ankle and it's weird because i was doing it every day so what i did is i took a dowel rod and I got a roll of newspaper, rolled it around it, and I duct taped it. So it represents like a that much of a skin layer. That's what paper does. It's like it's like skin around a bone. And what I would do is I would I would grind my wrists on it uh, every day to kill the nerves. And then another thing I used to do to kill the nerves is I do three-star and five-star uh, drills from Wing Chun and from Xingyi. And it's just arm conditioning. And then I used to have a uh, can- of sand and a can of rice and a can of beans and i used to put my fingers in those like an eye jab i used to do this and then i'd also hit it like this and then i would grab it and squeeze it the rice i used to punch i would just sit and punch the rice and then the beans you shove your finger in like a spear hand you just alternately do that and then the higher level you use sand and then the highest level is you use steel marbles and you jab your fingers in there and you know where I got that from? Where? When I was doing uh, karate when I was a kid, I remember there was these kung fu guys in Minnesota that came and did a demonstration. And they brought a bunch of watermelons. Oh. And I was like, all right, we're going to eat some watermelon. And they go, no, that represents your head. Watch this. And the guys were doing this, and they're putting their fingers into the watermelons, oh. like like a typing machine. That's yes. They're like right through the watermelon rind. And I was like, how the hell are these guys doing this? And so I asked them and then I did some research and I bought a little triangular steel shot bag that hangs from the ceiling. I used to eye jab the thing regularly. Uh, I do pushups on my fingers. I do a lot of grip strength stuff. I hit a macawarra all, all the time. And then I used to go rock climbing because of the grip strength that you have. Yeah. And and I was also a gymnast, so your grip is everything, because if you lose your grip, you go flying, especially on the high bar. I was a high bar specialist, and uh, yeah. wow, I was an all-around, but I wasn't good at everything. I was best with all the things I did, parallel bars and high bar. That was interesting,
0: too. Like, gymnastics is like, gymnasts the most in-shape people on the planet. Like, they're
1: just you're right. so You quiet. know why? Because you're flexible, and, and then every day you do – 200 push-ups, 200 pull-ups, 200 dips, plus your workout routine, plus yeah. your setup of the equipment, and the teardown of the equipment. And it was every day, just the discipline. You know how many routines you go through and how many times you fail trying to do a, yeah. a giant or, a, you know, all, all the different things. Gymnastics, for me, was more than anything, it was all complete body mastery. That's a great way to We're Even going into stunt work. I want to
0: ask you too, like you started at judo, you know, you're like eight years old, I believe when you started and you worked your way because you want to get into striking, you know, you doing karate, boxing and training at
1: what point did you make your way to Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Was it before it got popularized? So I was training with Tim Tackett in his garage in 1986. Wow. And he said, there's these Brazilian brothers. There's a new martial art because we were experimenting with all the different martial arts. we We were doing JKD and Kali, and then that's when the Silat and Muay Thai were becoming very popular. So we were experimenting with that from a street fighter's perspective, and then they said, there's some guys that have an open challenge and they'll street fight anybody, and it's a bunch of brothers from Brazil. And so I looked them up. The first introduction of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was a pro master, Horian Gracie, in his garage. Yes. The actual founder Of Gracie Jiu Jitsu in America was Korean. Yes. And I trained with him and it was, so I thought I was going to go there and just, I thought it was going to be like a street fight. I thought it was going to be like knock down Dre. I had no idea. Wow. And he taught me all the self-defense stuff. And then he said, let's imagine that you're a tough guy. (laughs) What would you do if I grabbed your shirt with my hand like this? And I thought he was going to punch me in the face. <laughs> wow. and, and he goes, what would you do? And I go, what would I do? And he goes, yeah. And I I remember I, I hit him in the bicep. And then I, I jabbed him like three times. And he goes, yes, but that's okay. But let's say I'm tough and I don't need my eyes to fight. And I was like, holy shit, you're pretty tough. You know, I mean you get a grain of sand in your eye when the wind blows in capacity. let alone a finger or a hand, a bunch of fingers. Yeah. Next thing you know, he showed me a bunch of ways, old school, Gracie jujitsu, how to get to someone's back, put them in a hammer lock. So everything was based off of self-defense stuff, which was interesting. And then they would only show just a, not not very much, just a little bit of positioning on the ground. You know, they didn't overexpose it because each lesson was, uh, every lesson you would take fueled the next lesson. So you would know if, like, you're on lesson one or lesson ten, and they go, you do not know that yet. Uh, that is not for you. You are not there in your lesson plan. And that was how the privates went. And they go, this guy, he's got 50 lessons in. And I was like, he's got 50 lessons. And they go, yeah, that's why he knows the scissor sweep. And I was like, oh, man. And I said, well, how do I get better? Can I put mats in my garage and wrestle with my my roommates? And he goes, no, you're not to share any of this valuable information with anybody. This is for you and you only. He said, you cannot share. And he said, it's like going to college. Would you go to college and buy all your books for college and take classes and then give all those books and all your notes to your friends? Or would you make them go do it themselves? He said, it's all about the experience. Interesting. So that's the beginning
0: yeah. of what that was like. Interesting.
1: Yes. and then I, So I got, I got Master Horian and then I got uh, Hoyce because uh, Horian said, um, I'm very busy and I cannot train you. But he also brought me in his house and he introduced me to his kids when they're little and they're all watching TV and I noticed that they're all eating fruit and part of the Gracie diet was the fruit diet. So, you know, like kids today, they junk food and and sugar and sweets and popsicles and all these kids were eating like fruit and just hanging out. And uh, it was interesting. And Horian brought me in his living room and sat me down and opened this old notebook. He showed me the history of Gracie jujitsu and his father, how Grandmaster Helio uh, fought all these different people and had an open challenge, and uh, he had a challenge out to fight the Brown Bomber. (laughs) He never fought him, but I mean, he had like all these challenges, and it was interesting. And then he showed me all these clips of Helio fighting other Judokas, and uh, and then he told me this, I think it was Hickson that told me the story of, of Helio got challenged by a high level judoka who tied a rope around his neck and he had three guys on each side wow. and they were pulling the rope like a tug of war. And they were trying to choke him. And he was just going, see if you have six guys that can't choke me, how is one guy going to choke me out? <laughs> That's what the judoka said. Wow. The judoka stood that to Helio. So when they first engaged in their match, they hit the ground and Helio snapped a front choke on him.
0: Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah.
1: And the guy wouldn't tap he went out and he's like, "See, so he waited about a half hour later when the blood was going through the neck, and he put it on the guy, and the guy went out cold. Wow, and so the moral of the story is once the blood is pumping through the neck and your blood pressure starts raising up, that's the time to choke somebody. Wow, that's a great takeaway, well yeah, think about that like if you even if you put a knee bar on me from the beginning, yeah unless your knee bar is spot on, I'm going to fight tooth and nail out of that thing. Right. Once, once you get me tired, I'm a little tired. You put a knee bar. I'm apt to tap a lot faster than I would if I had the piss and vinegar to fight out of something. And the and same thing with the choke because your blood pressure gets high. The odds of you going out are a lot higher because of the pressure, the blood pressure that's in your head and your neck. Wow, that's an amazing takeaway. just, being a fan of yours for so many
0: years and also preparing for the interview. And I love seeing all the little other nooks and crannies people get into. I dare say you're at least at this point, the most interesting person in the world that I, I have yeah. talked to. <laughs> there,
1: there's a lot of very interesting people that I've met. Uh, but I've very, you know, I, I almost died. I had uh staff infection throughout my entire body a couple of years ago and I had to go to the hospital and I was thinking, I was about a day away from death and I, I, I sat real quickly and I said, you know what? I think I've had a pretty good life and wow. I probably had so far at least three or four lives in one life. So I'm pretty happy if I got to go now, you know, I'm pretty happy. Wow. I, you know, I don't think I'll be taken early. I just think that I've done enough. And uh, I remember I told Anya, I said, you know, if, if you're ready to go, I'll, I'm ready to go. <laughs> she was like, what do you, what have they given you? And I was like, I don't know. I think, I think it's called Dilotted." <laughs> <laughs> and they gave, it was an injection and it was because my pain, my pain threshold was through the roof. I was a, probably at least a 12 or 13 out of a 10. Because my entire body was uh, infected with the staph infection, it was in my muscles. I mean, my, my everything was locked. It was wrapped around my neck, and uh, I couldn't breathe. After they cut me and did the surgery, they said, "You know, we don't know." First of all, how he was walking around, let alone being alive, because of the pressure that I had. They cut me in the front and they cut me in the back, and when they cut me, I exploded just. <laughs> because i was so pressurized and then the doctors he called my family he said hey you might want to get here right now because we don't know if Eric's gonna make it i mean it is that bad and then after my surgery everyone's around and they all had this kind of mopey look and i go what's wrong and they go they didn't want to tell me but they said they thought i had about eight days to live after that because they say he'll probably be gone about eight days if it's in his heart or his head so we'll, we'll keep an eye and we'll, every day we'll ask him how he's feeling. It, it could be because if the staff gets in your heart, you're done. Wow. If the infection gets in your brain, you're done. And it was wrapped around my spine. So they said if they didn't get it by the next day, the odds of me being a quadriplegic were extremely high. If they didn't treat it, I would be gone. If they gave me pills, I would probably be a quadriplegic because of the pressure factor.
2: Yeah.
1: And then if they if they operated, there's a chance that I may beat this whole thing. Wow, man, that's insane. When was this? It was two and a half years ago. And so when they we had a specialist come in from UCI, and I sat with them and I looked at him. I go, "Are you the one that's going to save me?" And he goes, "Yes, I am." I go, "Okay." And then Tanya signed the paper and then I went right into pre surgery. So they put me in there and uh, they go it was like I got my last meal and and I said, Hey, you know, if this doesn't work out, I, I'm content with my life. I'm I'm happy. You know, I've had a I've had a pretty good run and like I said, I've seen and done more things than most people. So if this is my time, that's it. I'm content. I'm happy. Enough people, you know that things will be good on the other side. It's so because that's the whole thing with the martial arts
2: yeah. is
1: that it's a vehicle to change lives yes a thousand percent we love to change people's lives with martial arts and we can start at the kids level we can start with children and the children are the future and when we start with the children you know you could start them with the good work ethic and the morals and the manners you know train a kid how to think correctly and think for themselves and be strong you know and respect other people and don't talk back and mouth off and just all that good stuff that when we grew up as kids uh were taught right you know not these spoiled entitled little brats today that sit their phone 24 7 and the mouth off to their parents
0: yeah i never did that back in the day i'll tell you that right now
1: yeah because we get our asses whipped <laughs> yeah when See- i was a little kid if i swore i'd get a bar of soap in my mouth
0: yeah, yeah, back in the day that was
1: <laughs> now it's like, oh, you can't go on your uh, phone or tablet for an hour. I said the F word, my mom goes, get in the bathroom. I remember I remember what Irish Spring soap tasted like. Because it had <laughs> it was white and green and I remember tasting it tasting that soapy, minty flavor. It was <laughs> so delicious. Anytime anytime you see the
0: commercial, just those memories kick back in. Hey, Eric, I want to bring this part up too. I'd like you to tell people that listening, Shuto, because I mean, you're the first American world light heavyweight Shuto title in Japan. so that little pathway going from all this cross training you're doing back in the day, and how that you even segued into next. There's like even like a. I understand. There's a, a weird little falling out with the Gracies because they're trying to do their
1: thing. It's okay. It was all it, you know. It was all part of the divine plan, I believe, and if me getting kicked out didn't make my life better then it wouldn't have been part of a plan it actually enhanced my life because it's some greater teachers in the future i wouldn't have been trained with one of the top wrestlers if i was still with those guys i wouldn't have been able to train with all of the machado brothers if i was still training there i wouldn't be able to travel and do workshops you know, on MMA, if I was still over there, and so there's a lot of things that that actually was a blessing in disguise. You know, the hardest thing is when you idolize somebody. You know, because I idolized Hickson, I idolized him, and and I put him on a huge pedestal, and and I got his word when I fought. They said, "Oh yeah," you know. I said, "I'm going up as an alternate," you know, and and I'm already fighting in Japan professionally at this time, anyway. So you know, like. What's the difference? You know, I'm going to fight or not fight. It's just part of the grand scheme for the whole entertainment industry stuff to get more and more into stunt work and movies and get some notoriety in America. Because I had fought in Japan and nobody saw me win the belt of Japan in America. I fought and won the belt. I was the first American to go to Shudo and fight in 1993. Uh, June 24th, 1993, I went to Japan to fight. They gave me the first guy was the Judo Samurai. and he was a shooter and they called him chicken heart and chicken heart just meant that if you put a fake tattoo on your shoulder he'll get scared grow a fu manchu long hair wear a muscle shirt and cowboy boots and jeans when you walk in don't smile or talk interesting so so it was that mo that scared this guy and you could see he was worried in that fight and just uh that fight went back and forth. It was one of the greatest back and forth fights. Can
0: you go into catch wrestling and your tie-in with Billy Robinson? What kind
1: of tie into that side of things? Well, I got introduced to catch wrestling through Shudo. And while I was training with Orion Hoyes, Hickson, and then Higgin in the Machados, Rico Ciparelli and I hooked up. And we became really good friends, and we traded. I taught him the shootout attack on the ground, which is catch wrestling, in exchange for all the takedowns. So Rico was my private coach for seven years, and then I taught him a lot of submissions for Randy, Dan Henderson. Uh, Matt Lindland was part of Tom Erickson. Later on, Frank Trigg, Vladimir Matashenko. I helped all those guys. Uh, Mostly I got to roll and train with most of those guys. So that was the wrestling aspect that I got later because I was a gymnast, not a wrestler. I started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu in 1986. And in 1988, I drove by the Inasano Academy and they were having a seminar. And it said, punching, kicking, throwing, submission. And I go, wow, that looks interesting. Looks like the perfect for me because I do all that. And so I remember I was living in Manhattan Beach. My roommate was a private student of Hickson at the time. And he was a blue belt, and I remember I took my first seminar with the Shudo, and I came home and I said, striking, the way it was integrated with grappling was amazing, revolutionary. I figured out a way to take someone down from a tie kick now. I've got five variations of kick catches to take down. And I showed my roommate, I go kick me, and I took him down with a catch A, catch B, catch C, catch D, which is an overhook, underhook series, front arm, overhook, underhook, back arm uh took him down straight to submission right into a toe hold or a heel hook which was called a heel hold or a knee lock not even called a knee bar a knee lock uh or an achilles lock and so he's like what the heck is this and he was screaming because he wasn't used to getting leg locked and i said you think that's cool watch this and i learned the first uh, lock flow since yuri nakamura taught the first lock flow which is approximately 28 to 30 moves wow. i learned the first lock flow and i went home and i said to my my roommate i go hey let me show you something and i and i put the first lock flow on me he, he nearly shot
2: himself
1: <laughs> he was like what the heck is all that and i go it's my secret weapon yes sir and he goes and he goes what do you mean And i go well we both have the same amount of private lessons under the Gracie's. So we kind of both know the same amount of information. You, you probably learned a couple of things I didn't learn. And I knew a couple of things you didn't learn. And I said, but, but nobody knows this, this is new stuff because some of the people are starting to get into the garage training and do privates. But at that time you had, that money. You had that money to do privates. It was 40 bucks a half hour in 1988. What's 40 bucks a half hour equivalent to today?
0: Like
1: what, 120, 150? Okay. I'd say 200. Wow, that's crazy. So, you know, for an hour is like 80 bucks, $80 for, but with Hicks and Gracie, with Higgin Machado, okay. with okay. Hoist Gracie, with Horian you know, really? Because they hadn't become established in the general community yet. And when I helped Hickson get a fight in Japan, it took me three years to get him over there. And they finally gave him a good offer. And I, I helped the offer. I helped uh, create the meeting for the offer so he could go fight in Japan. And it was funny. It took three guys. And finally he said, Yeah, I think that'll work. It started out as 15 and 15, not enough. Then it went 30 and 30, not enough. Then it went 50 50. He goes, Let's talk. Because He's not looking at 50, he's looking at 100. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not going, oh, I'll get 50 grand. How much do I get when I win? 100 grand. Oh, okay, yeah, I could use 100 grand. we were all hustling, trying to get movie. We're trying to do commercials, get movie work. We're trying to get on Baywatch, get commercials. And then all of a sudden you get a fight on TV or in Japan, I was already established in fighting in Japan at that time. So they kept asking me if I could get Hickson to fight in Japan in the tournament. And they just kept lowballing him and they finally gave him a good offer and he went. Wow. So the next year, so please don't quote me verbatim as far as money because I know that's a personal issue. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not supposed to be talking money, but look at it like this. It started at the 50 mark, 50-50, 100-100. 50, he won both tournaments, by the way. Yeah. So now what? So now you want probably won like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars 300000 total so far. This is what I'm thinking. I don't know. I, like I said, don't quote me. So now you're like, okay, I've beat all these guys. I've established myself. I've done what I'm supposed to. I want to fight a super fight, and I want to make more money because i'm already established and you guys already know who i am so i want a million bucks and they go uh and then right off the bat they go well Shudo said well we don't have those connections but pride does uh, you know what happened yeah i took that deal and then they brought in their superstar which well the, actually that wasn't Pride's superstar but the famous pro wrestler Who was not really the top fighter. He wasn't the top MMA fighter. He was a pro wrestler that knew catch wrestling, but was not the top guy. Takata, right? Was it Takata? Sorry. So they brought in. Takata. he fought Takata twice. And every time he beats him, he goes, you guys can keep paying me to school this guy. (laughs) He goes, I'm just, I'm I'm schooling. I'm teaching him. He's learning as he's fighting me. (laughs) And he goes, and you guys are paying me a lot of money. So don't you guys have anybody better than that? And they go, oh uh, yeah, let's look, hold on. And then Funaki stepped up. So it was either Funaki or Suzuki from Pancrase because they were heavyweights. Yeah. And, and they were catch wrestlers. They were the generation before Sakuraba.
0: Okay. How did catch wrestling get to Japan, by the way?
1: Like what was that segue? Well, with pro wrestling. So Carl Gotch, Carl got so Frank Gotch, Frank gotch was uh Farmer Burns was a godfather of catch wrestling I think he competed against uh he competed against Frank gotch and then he was so impressed by Frank's performance that he took him under and he started training him in his because he had this conditioning program the Farmer, the Farmer Burns condition which is what Matt Fury uh started promoting Actually, it was so good that all the athletes started incorporating the Burns body conditioning methods. Wow. With all the exercises. Carl Gotts went to uh, India to learn the Indian wrestling called Pali. And when he did that, he learned their conditioning, which they would just rip out, you know, thousands of Hindu squats, slider push ups, or the Hindu push up they call the slider.
2: Wow.
1: And then they use the slats and the bells and they use the clubs or the pins and then they use all that stuff. So Carl Gotch, he was originally from Belgium and then he started wrestling in Germany. So a lot of them thought he was German. Oh. So when Frank Gotch died, he took his last name and changed to Carl Gotch. Oh. Carl Gotch trained Satoru Sayama, whose Tiger Mask. And he trained Funaki, and he trained uh, Caesar Takeshi, who was a shoe boxing guy. And he trained Takata, and he trained all these, all these other pro wrestlers. These guys were all pro wrestlers. And then one of the pro wrestlers kind of defected and said, I want to start my own real fighting league. And the reason being is Satoru Sayama's birthday was the same as Bruce Lee's. Okay. So he loved Jeet Kune Do. Yeah. And he said, you know, since I love Jeet Kune Do, I would love to have a real fight that has everything in it. Amazing. So I wanna do I wanna create a fight league where we have punching, kicking, throwing, submission. So in nineteen eighty three he funded Shudo. Wow. And since nineteen eighty six tournament and since Yuri Nakamura was his first champion. From then on, there was thousands upon thousands of fights under the Shudo League. The most accomplished of all MMA leagues and the most technical of all fighters came from Shudo. Later on, there was Rings, UWF, Pancrase. Pancrace hadn't been established yet. And here's the thing. Some of the matches were predetermined. So there were five other leagues at the time I was fighting where they said, Shudo is 100% real. Some of these other ones have predetermined matches. So they're not 100% credible for 100% reality. We will not allow you to fight in these other leagues. Because I said, can I fight some of the fighters from like Dan Craze that are bigger? UWF. And he goes, a lot of those are predetermined. And he gave me a video and said, watch this. And he goes, Tell me if you know if this is real or fake. And I was watching it, going, How did that guy have that guy in an arm bar for like 10 seconds? And his arm was fully extended. He was like grimacing and yelling, Ah, and the guy's shaking, Ah, and then he gets out. And I was like, That was fake. Yeah, yeah. Because that guy's arm was fully extended. It should have popped like 10 times already. Yeah. So I'm watching somewhere. I'm like, Okay, I see it. I see it. It, but most people have never seen it and don't know. He goes, Even Pride at the time, I'm not trying to say some damning statements here, but this is why I was not allowed to fight guys in Pride at the time. Pride hadn't even come out. But it was a money fight. The Pride fights were money fights because they were big publicity and they had uh, big financial backers. And it was funny, I was at Pride one time and they go, Hey, we just want to inform all of you that we are not affiliated with the yakuza and i was like looking around going where does all the money come from first of all because all these guys are getting paid a lot of money and yeah but i wasn't doubting and i said okay well whoever said you guys were affiliated with the yakuza there are allegations there are allegations that we are affiliated and i was like just don't even talk about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. Be yeah. the fighter. Stay the biggest league in Japan right now. So anyways, the cool part that I liked was that Pride was amazing to go to. Amazing to watch. The crowds were packed. Now, UWF was was pro. It worked. So, you know, it was like going to a pro wrestling match. Same with rings. Rings had some real fights and some fake fights. So... You know, anytime you're fighting in a league where where you you're fighting a real fight, and then the next fight after you is a predetermined or a work or or a shoot, well then you say, well, what what's credible and what's not? And that's why they not me to cross until there were uh, cage fights in America, and then they said, okay, you could do those. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and there's always been a blend, especially
0: a history of catch wrestling. There's always been a real world side of it and an entertaining side of it as well. You know,
1: entertainment wise. Well, Yeah, so so catch wrestling was real. Uh, Wrestling had punishment holds, and these punishment holds were to get people to move in case they were stalling. And it wasn't necessarily to finish them, it was to get them to move so they could win by pin. So you could win by submission or by pin. And it was like that all the way up until the 20s. And then they said, we need to get this on TV and make it big. So that's when they started adding the theatrics and the acrobatics. Yes. Yeah. And then it turned into pro wrestling, and then you got personalities and fanfare and all that stuff. I heard uh, John Donahue was talking about where all these uh, locks came from and, and everything and some of the leg locks. And so I asked Satoru Sayama personally. I sat down and I said, Hey, can I ask you something? Shudo is, is huge on leg locks. And he goes, You're right. And I said, Can I ask where some of these locks come from? Because as a shooter, you have to learn 150 locks. There's 10 lock flows. Each lock flow has anywhere from 6 to 30 techniques in them. There's combos 1 through 10, and a ton of leg locks in them. Anyways, I, so I asked. I said, can I ask you, Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama, Sensei Sayama, where did the Achilles lock come from? And he goes, oh, the Achilles lock is from Sambo. I learned it from Victor Koga. Wow. Victor, Victor Koga is half Russian, half Japanese. Okay. Sambis, judo sambis. okay what about the knee bar he goes the knee bar also came from sambo and i said okay that's interesting he goes but judo used to teach the knee bar too they had a knee bar so i said what about the toehold where's the toehold from and he goes the toehold is from cat okay and i said who taught you that and he said carl gotch and he goes i am carl gotch lineage and he said all the shooters are carl gotch lineage because Carl Gotch trained all the pro wrestlers in Japan. That's amazing. Next, we talked to Ken Shamrock, and he learned a lot of his training over there. In Florida with the Malencos, and Port uh, Vale was over there, and there's a, there's a lot of guys in Florida that learned. A lot of guys actually came from Japan and went over to train at his house. And there's a great video out that Jake Shannon has. It's all on conditioning at Carl Gotch's. And he, he's got all the Japanese over there wearing Zuba. Remember the big baggy pants called Zubas? <laughs> parachute? Not parachute, but the, the training pants. They're big with the waist. Anyway, I used to wear those. They used to sell them in Venice. Okay. They used to sell them in Venice Beach. All the bodybuilders at <laughs> Gold's Gym wore them. <laughs> so anyways, these guys are all wearing Zubas and tights. And uh, they're doing Hindu squats and all these pull-ups and push-ups and They've got all these exercises. It's pretty cool. It's all body exercises. To me, it's like gymnastics. That's why I came out with a training DVD series called Combat Athletics. My Combat Athletics program came from gymnastics, and it's all 15 different dips, 15 15 different types of pull-ups, all these different ways to climb the rope, handstand push-ups, all the different types of push-ups, all the different stomach exercises, uh, hand speed exercises. It's all body weight stuff. Yeah. And then all the exercises you do on each other—your push-ups and your sit-ups and your back extensions, your flip-flops, your squats, your calf raises—it's all partner training. That's amazing, I, and that's the best. I have an online university with over four thousand videos that you can access, and it's got everything from kickboxing to shootboxing to boxing to wrestling to judo and sambo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu and ground and pound combat athletics and conditioning and tons of sparring and stuff like that because you got to tear it apart and then you got to put it back together
0: right and, and can you go into that with your uh, csw training center combat submission wrestling because you went in earlier like the training concepts of the flow the importance of that to any group we're listening whether it's
1: jiu-jitsu wrestling sambo you, know, you name it can you go into the importance of that flow someone said what is csw I go, we're catch wrestlers and jiu-jitsu stylists that fight. We, we do MMA. We do kickboxing, MMA, shootboxing, boxing. Boxing's a regular part of our training for our fighters. So some days we just box. Again, modern day pugilism. We're pugilists. So we do a ton of striking. Our kickboxing is called STX, which is different. Than just straight Muay Thai. Everything has something great to offer the Savat, no, Kyonkashin karate, Jun Fan Jeep boxing, the shooto kickboxing, the Muay Thai, the French Savat. Amazing. Uh, so that's combined. And then we do the shoot boxing, which is punching, kicking, and throwing. We also do a thing called throw boxing, which is boxing with every time you clinch up, you throw your partner, you can foot sweep them. Well, it's kick ass. Yeah. And then, uh, then we do clinching with hitting, which is fun. Uh, one is just straight for dirty boxing. So we do clinching and hitting dirty boxing style. And then I said, okay, let's add the knees. Now you can clinch and knee and throw and wrestle. And then when you hit the ground, you got five seconds. So once you hit the ground, you got five seconds to take care of business. Otherwise you're back up to your feet. Then after that, we do ground and pound uh, top versus bottom and one person standing one person on the ground and ready go and we do ground and pound and then we also box from our knees which is different boxing from your knees because when you're when you're fighting you get cement blocks on your feet your feet get really heavy So now it's all upper body defense, so it teaches you how to move. We box from our knees, and then we have one person standing, one person up standing, and one person on their knees. So that's what it's like to fight a bigger opponent, taller opponent. And then it's also, if you're taller than somebody, how to fight someone shorter than you. I love that. I just love the concepts of the training. And the three Cs, number one is creative. Number two, cooperative. You have to work with somebody, so you got to go back and forth. And then number three is the combative where you actually go for it. That's awesome. That's kind of it in a nutshell. And then, you know, due to my injury, so I can't have anyone drop their body weight on my neck because I have a steel cage and a titanium spacer. Shit. But I could still demo and I could still do stuff. I just, and I can move lightly with people, but I can't have, I mean, if there's a chance somebody's going to drop a forearm or try to choke me, I uh, I have to tap out. because
0: can mess
1: with that um, yeah well no because i'll be paralyzed i have a titanium spacer holding my head up so i told you the staph infection was wrapped around my spinal cord oh okay yeah okay at eight three and four vertebrae one two at eight three and four and it was shaved to the tip of a pencil and they had to remove it and replace it with the steel cage that would create because my head was falling forward I had a herniated disc in the back of my neck. That was uh, an older injury. So I, I injured my the back of my neck. And it got to the point where I couldn't even hold my head up anymore. And I didn't know it was wrong. And that's when the staph started happening. It accumulated chest. And I got trapped here. And it's because I had so much injury in this area. That's where the infection accumulated. And I, I'm thinking it probably took maybe eight months or so. And finally, it just got so bad, I just, I'm having problems breathing. I, I struggled super hard. Uh, I thought I was going to have a match with um, Mark Schultz. I talked to Morris, and Alex said, hey, do you want to go against Mark Schultz in a grappling match? And I'm like, Mark Schultz is a gold medalist Olympian in wrestling. And they go, yeah, would you mind having a grappling match where you guys could submit each other? I go, that would be probably the highlight of my life right now (laughs) so i started training and all of a sudden halfway through my training i I remember i said to a couple of my training partners i said hey there's something going on with me i am i'm having a real hard time like breathing i'm feeling suffocated and i didn't realize that i had a staph infection brewing in my neck and i also had five bone spurs four calluses wow! And my, thro- and my throat was completely flat my goodness the throat and nose specialist said you have a deviated septum also from um from getting your nose broke and i go which time <laughs> and he goes well how many times have you broke your nose and i go five so he goes okay well so that would explain that um your throat you can hear in my videos from the past my voice is a little bit higher hi I'm, eric paulson. hi I'm eric paulson so my voice changed a little bit it got all grovelly but it was because my throat getting flat that's crazy man. Yeah? so i went to the throat specialist and he put a scope down my throat and he said have you been hit by a car <laughs> and i said no why and he goes why is your throat flat i go oh yeah that's from the short choke and he goes, what's short choke? I go, well, I went over to Scotland and I turned the judo guys back in the early 90s. And when I took someone's back, I went to hit a Mount de Leon. And as I did it, they started laughing and they go, don't you know anything? That That's a dinosaur choke. And I go, that's the slowest choke you could ever do on somebody. If you're going to choke somebody, you want to choke them quick. And He goes like this and he, he took his knuckle and he punched it as hard as he could across my neck with and he dropped his wrist to my chest dunk, and he pulled it up and then brought it back and flattened my throat out and i tapped in one second when he did it for real and his head was behind my head and his lips were by my ear and he said Don't sleep. And then i said no <laughs> and then i started fighting it but i didn't realize that my throat was flat and then, so when i come back in the early 90s I'm talking like 1990, 91. I come back and I'm teaching everyone the short choke. And nobody knew it. Nobody has seen it because they always taught the Monte Leon. And all of a sudden, you got to figure all the really high level black belts were all blue belts back then. The experts were Hoyce, Porian, Hickson, Higgin. Those were the experts. Yeah. Even Henzo was still pretty young back then. Hoyce is the same age as me. I don't want to say this, but I'm. Five days older than Master Higgins. Oh really? Five days.
0: He's a character by the way. I've talked to him a couple of times and everything's my brother.
1: My friend, my brother. He's got a really beautiful heart. Yeah. Everyone he meets is his friend. And he makes everybody feel special. The same with Henzo. Everyone that meets Henzo laughs with him because he laughs all the time. You can't help it. <laughs> yeah, he's got that it's that bubbly personality. It definitely enlightens you.
0: Let me ask, kind in closing here. Back then, it wasn't like a big career move to get into MMA shooter. I mean, it wasn't even MMA yet, right? Yeah,
1: it was NHB. Yeah, you're th- right. So, what are some of the craziest things you saw? Most stuff I witnessed were challenges. They're open challenges. People going in and challenging, and like Jason Deluca going in and challenging Hoist. Yes. And then Hoist beats him up, and then he goes, I want to train with you. So he trains him, and then he turns around and re-challenges him in, in the UFC. Yeah. And then wonders why Hoist broke his arm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did he put that, that arm lock on a little longer than he should have? Pretty nasty. Yes, of course, but it, he was mad. He wanted to prove a point. And they call it the height of compliment. They're like, oh, you're so good that he wants to fight you. That means he values how great you are. and I'm like yeah but he also came lived with me maybe in Japanese standards but in American standards them's fighting words (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) hey I know I got to stay with you a month and you showed me a lot of stuff and you fed me and we hung out but let's fight yeah it's kind of strange man listen
0: Eric it's been a pleasure to talk with you man thank you Tom thanks for listening everyone Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.